Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! The guitars, you, you, you didn't play guitar before? Um, I sort of don't now. Um, <laughs> I, I sort of collect dust, really. <laughs> That's why they're on the wall. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I've tried, but it's just... I think like everyone, during this lockdown period, I made promises that I would do things that I never got round to. Yep, same as. Um, I was going to buy a ukulele. I was going to buy a guitar. The whole thing. Excellent. Never happened, mate. Never happened. Yeah, but don't you find as well that when you've got that much spare time, you do less because, you know, when you're working and that, your time's precious. So you kind of... I've done fuck you, you all. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> Assassin's Creed. You, no PS4 games, nothing, mate. I mean, you know, that that, nah. no, that novel I was going to write, you know, it's, it's, it never happened. It's yeah. taken, it's taken it's, a year to do a fucking Rainbow Valley, for God's sake. It was going to be quite an autobiographical uh, sort of thing, weren't it? Like a sort of <laughs> blinch roman, as they call it. <laughs> Warts and all, mate. It was going to be there, honestly. Sure. It was, it was going to be like Kiss and Tell, almost. It was. It was like yeah. Deep dark secrets. Yeah. Oh, dear. I'm reading a book a bit like that at the moment, but it's actually about Barry Bunnell, the football coach. <laughs> so things haven't changed for you, then, with regard to your reading matter. Then it's just very eclectic. It's I've read a lot more non-fiction lately. Yeah. I'm not tending to uh, gravitate towards novels anymore. Yeah. See, I was always a big fan of the non-fiction stuff, anyway. Biographies yeah. and autobiogs and stuff. Yeah, used to like all that. Um, I can't remember the last time I actually read a book. It's really bad, really bad of me, you know. I reread Jaws on the train <laughs> a couple of months back. Eventually. Yeah, reread that a couple of months back. Um, but apart from that, no, not really doing any serious reading at all. I did get John Mills's autobiography from eBay. No, oh, that'd be all right. Yeah. They'd say you'll have uh, great expectations for oh, that. Will do. Oh, ha, ha. The only thing I'm looking forward to, to see if it's got that, do you remember when we found out that David Lean had done the premiere or a sneak preview of Oliver? I remember Smith? that well, yeah. yeah. Not literally, but... <laughs> was, it, was it... No, it was Brief Encounter, wasn't it, or something? He was, he, they, he was... Yeah, they were filming Great Expectations in Rochester. And they, he chose to premiere Brief Encounter. I, I think it might have been uh, the Odeon that was near the old train station, perhaps. It was. It was at the bottom of Star Hill. It's now an old people's yeah. home, believe it or not. Yeah, it's a care home. Um, and they booed it, didn't Most they? Most of them were probably at that fucking premiere. <laughs> but I just remember you saying that just proves that we can't have anything nice here. We can't. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We're treated to the premiere of one of the sort of quintessential classic British films and people just mock it. They booed. They laughed, didn't they? They just thought it was just this soppy, bloody romantic thing that... Well, then again, it was like a... Not so much Rochester, but Chatham, and that was a was a dock town, wasn't it? You know, so it's funny, yes. like, you know, sweaty stevedores and all this lot, but 
Yeah, poor old David Lean. You know, the, Rochester is is the the closest we get to any culture down here. Exactly, and that that constitutes sort of like one street and a, so, a few surrounding fields. So <laughs> even that is quite concentrated it's into true. one small part of it. Yeah, true. Oh, Scum. Yeah. Well, was that filmed at the Borstal? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it could have been good, yeah. I'm sure that that goes on in a lot of greenhouses around here. Yeah, whether you're banged up or not, mate, just like private greenhouses, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually doing scum on Real Britannia coming up. Oh, that'll be a barrel of laughs. It will be. Well, what it was, we recorded at the weekend with booze from the Sweet For Every Jesus podcast. That's right, I remember you saying, yeah. Yeah, and we found out that booze has got a penchant for sort of gangster movies, and, and that was all we could find out. We didn't know what other genres he might have been sort of tempted to to divulge you know to, to sort of diverse into and uh so we reviewed performance you know the mick jagger um james uh, nicholas rogue yeah yeah nick rogue film it's sort of half musical half sort of mob sort of yeah film. which i'd forgotten the gangster side of and i just remembered it being this psychedelic you know, just sort of opera, rock, pop opera type thing, but it was nothing like, like that at all. Almost like Tommy, sort of. Yeah, nothing like it. Nothing like that at all. My memory completely deceived me. Um, and the gangster bit, it's, it's two separate movies, and the gangster bit is a real good um, sort of foreshadowing of what's to come with Get Carter, yeah. Villain, Long Good Friday a few years later. Um, Jagger is Villain, I think it's in Villain. Is that the one where uh, Richard Burton takes it up the shitter? Richard Burton does Ronnie Cray, basically, yes. Yeah. Yeah. With Ian McShane, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Love Joy. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, we we loved it. And then so I sort of said to Stephen at the end of the show, right, it's your turn to pick a, a, um, a movie for the three of us to do next time we're back together. So Stephen's gone through his list because he's compiled this wonderful list of stuff that he wants to do for Real Britannia. And he went, I'll tell you what, we'll do scum. And I'm like, brilliant. So what are we doing, the cinema version or, you know, there's a play for today, wasn't it? It was based on a BBC TV play, wasn't it? They were both, um, they were both, was it Alan, Alan Clark? Alan Clark originally. Alan White name? Yeah. 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 And And I think uh, in the play, it was Patrick Murray who played the, sort of Ray Winstone character, ah, but then in the wow. film he plays like one of the underlings, basically. Uh, I haven't seen it for... Mickey Pierce. I was going to say, Mickey Pierce is in it. I think you've got um, Daniel Peacock's in it as well, I think. All those sort of guys that went on to become... Um, you've got uh, Phil, Phil Daniels, Phil Daniels I think, as well. well. Yeah, we're, we're just before Quadrophenia, wouldn't it? I'd have thought this one. Mm. So, so we're going to do that. Um, we're hanging tight for McVicker because... Morris wants to join in on McVicker, I think. I'm not. I'm not surprised Morris wants to uh, join in on McVicker because he is a huge fan of the Who. Yeah, so that'll be worth doing, um, McVicker. And I need to talk to you about Real Britannia as well because it's been penciled in for probably about three years. Uh, Tommy. Yes. Yeah, a film that I think would uh, yield a lot of interest in conversation, whatever you think of it. Um, I'm a massive Ho fan as well, so 
I hold it, I, I scrutinise that film probably a lot more than I should <laughs> because I love the album. I liked, I like the movie. It's just one of those ones that mm. I watched at completely the wrong time of my life. I was far too young to have watched it because it got this massive Same. premiere, BBC One. And it was a big thing, and it was like the Sun had these headlines, controversy about um, Anne Margaret rolling about in beans, and it's like, oh my god! And, <laughs> and it was honestly that was the headline, and it was like, um, not didn't mention you know um, the old Oliver Keith Reed and the Keith Moon bit and all that. Yeah, didn't mention that at all. It was a bit about Anne Bancroft and the beans. Um, so everybody, everybody watched it because back then. During the war, like we've had this, this is going back to the old conversations we used to have, mate. Explaining old shit to you. Um, the, the three Can we channels. Just get the music in the background, please. There's <laughs> the three channels again and all that, lot. You know, I was I was thinking about this today, thinking, right, I'm going to be talking to Charlie, um, and what the fuck has changed? Um, it's eight years since we first. Oh, here we go. Eight years since we first started. It's like the start of Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> but it was. It was January. Eight years ago, we started recording. And the first one out in, first one went out in the July, something like that. Um, we were still colleagues, weren't we? I think we were still working together. How old were you then? You were early twenties, weren't you? Eight years ago, yeah, I would have been twenty-four. Hell. So this was the thing, and I was thinking about when we finally get round to talking about train spotting, which was nineteen ninety-two. Back then you hadn't even seen pulp fiction, which was about the same sort of time, wasn't it? You 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 were still, right. still examining and exploring all these movies, weren't you? But I think Pulp Fiction may have been a film that I watched in the first month of us doing the podcast but we didn't get round to reviewing it until later that year yeah yeah it was one that you just discovered mm. um, it, it wasn't my first tarantino which is quite interesting because i'd seen reservoir dogs and jackie brown years before that and that, I, I was impressed but um i then think django unchained had come out the month before we started recording i saw that right. and then it sort of yeah, and then it compelled me to watch Pulp Fiction, and I was just fucking blown away. <laughs> yeah, when we get round to talking about Train Spotting, it's that era, isn't it? That some yeah. massive, massive movies that twenty-five years down the line, all right, they had this cult status, but they've become a lot more than cult status now. They, they're re- generally revered as classics, aren't they? Now, I'd say. Well, who, who's the the guy who wrote? Um, Easy Riders and Raging Bulls. Oh, is it Peter S- Siskind or something like that? Free Riskind. Te- yeah, I'm I think so. I should I should have remembered that. Yeah. But um, he wrote a follow up called Down and Dirty Pictures, yes. yeah. which was about that kind of era where small independent films were becoming huge box office successes, and Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Do the Right Thing, and then Trainspotting, even Shallow Grave were excellent examples of that it was a really fruitful time to be an up-and-coming director i think the late 80s and early 90s yeah yeah it was it was, it was different wasn't it because um over here you had the opportunities from like the funding from film four and you know independent filmmakers were encouraged to go out and just make things on a low budget you know we got a little bit of funding guys just you know go and live your dream 
Um, yeah. I don't know how the funding would have worked over in Hollywood. You know, where did Tarantino get the funding for Reservoir Dogs? You know, it wasn't if it was like a Patreon or a, that sort of thing back then, was it? I can't remember how that all came about. Cause I know one of the key things was that he was already good friends with Harvey Keitel, which ah, kind right. of is going to, you know, open a lot of doors, let alone if he's actually in the film as well. Yeah, that would have done it, wouldn't it? And then sort of Robert Rodriguez and all those guys, wasn't it, around about that sort of time? Yeah. So I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, Tarantino's big break was actually playing an Elvis impersonator in an episode of The Golden Girls. It certainly was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they aspire to be an actor. Um, but I know in America, I'm not really sure how it works over here. We've had this conversation before that we don't, we've never really dipped our toe into the kind of uh, world of filmmaking itself or haven't really had any interest in being part of that world necessarily. Yeah. But I know in America, uh, there's a kind of prestigious tradition of graduating from a film school. You know, and mm. your Oliver Stones, your Martin Scorsese's, your Spike, uh, Spike Lee's, they've gone to quite renowned film schools, graduated, uh, Coppola as well. Yeah. And that's how they get their break because potentially they're being tutored by someone like Martin Scorsese. I know Oliver Stone was. So while you're actually studying, you're making vital connections that will help you on your way. That's true, actually, and and you look at the connections on that. If they were to do some sort of family tree, you know that thing they used to do on the the comedy family tree, where they'd link all the sitcoms and all of that lot with the writers yeah. and all that. And if you can basically imagine, mm. paying Barry Cryer's mortgage, <laughs> that man is like eighty six or something this week, or he, he was this. Son, I think that's how old his son is, to be honest. <laughs> I think I read something on Twitter this week that it's about time they knighted him because, after all, he's, he's got the Queen's hairdo. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but he is he is a comic comedy you know legend, isn't he? You know, but but imagine yeah. if you did the Family Tree of that comedy connection series, if you did a similar sort of thing of that Easy Rider Raging Bull period, and you went back to. They uh, always say it was Bonnie and Clyde, or that sixty-seven, wasn't it? Was the turning point where. Um, Bonnie and Clyde and all that lot were up against Doctor Doolittle, which was Easy the last. Yeah, it was the yeah. last big studio musical. Um, and then you you drag in people like Lucas, and then you got Harrison Ford in American Graffiti, who then goes on, you know, to the Star Wars. Well, before Star Wars, he was in the conversation, wasn't he? I think Harrison Ford and and Apocalypse Now. And Apoc- yeah, you know, so. then, yeah, they all sort of link. It's actually surprising that he doesn't show up in either of the first two Godfather films, Harrison Ford, because he seemed to have such a strong relationship with Coppola at True. that time. Absolutely, when you think about it, yeah, um, it'd be interesting to see where where that goes if you got Coppola, Lucas, Spielberg, all of those guys. Um, yeah, and the people that they get in, like John Williams, the composer, or whatever stars, or like you said, Harvey Cartel, Harvey Cartel's in there somewhere, along with De Niro. It's, it's a fascinating era, mate. We always said, didn't it, that Stinking Paul's back in the early days quite often gravitated back to that. It's. I think um, it's what I'd consider my favourite era of film. I know the golden age of cinema as well before that mm. but 
maybe I would then say in that case that the, the late 1960s and 70s leading up to Heaven's Gate probably um, is the Renaissance era. Yeah, because that was 1980, wasn't it? And alright, it's got that reputation as the the movie that ruined was it United Artists wasn't it I think was the one yeah but have you seen it recently I have uh, well not recently it's been about three or four years same since here. I've seen it same but, but I liked it I did I liked it I did absolutely loved it um as you know as as these sort of things are there's several different versions and different cuts of it but I think I saw like the the best version you could get whatever it was on this restored edition that i bought on blu-ray yeah absolutely loved it mate absolutely couldn't see what the fuss was about you know overblown epic but hollywood was built on overblown epics well this is the thing isn't it it was um the first time that maybe with the exception of apocalypse now that generation of director was given autonomy to make something of that size and mm. When you look into the story surrounding the movie, it appears to me that the only reason Jamino wasn't sacked because they did contemplate bringing in David Lean, funnily enough. Um, really? Oh, fucking was, hell. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, if anyone's got the kind of experience of producing an epic like that, it's going to be Lean. But yeah. uh, I think Jamino was still kind of surviving on the sheer acclaim of the deer hunter. He was the kind of... He was what Tarantino was to Hollywood just after Reservoir Dogs at that point. You know, course, it's what's he yeah. going to do next. Yeah. Yeah, you can imagine it. As, you know, we, we spoke about Chimino and we spoke about John Cazal, you know, as well. That that <laughs> This is bringing back so many memories of the early days of Stinking Paul's talking to you yeah. tonight. It's like John Cazal was a big thing of the early days of us because we, we very nearly did his entire CV, didn't we, within about two yes. years? Yes. Yes, and that would have been certainly no chore, given what's on there. There was five, isn't there? I think that all five were nominated yeah, for Best Picture. Um, yeah, I think the only one that wasn't... Oh, no, because obviously he was in The Deer Hunter. Yeah. But uh, the only other one he did that wasn't Coppola was Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, but all five were nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. and I think Understandably we, so. Yeah, exactly. And the only one I think we didn't cover, mate, was Godfather 2. Yeah. Because what is it? It's, it's Dog Day Afternoon, Godfather, Deer Hunter. Godfather 2, The Conversation. And The Conversation, yeah. So yeah. it's Godfather 2 is the only one missing. Is that the motorbike? Can you hear the motorbike? Is even that now? the motorbike? It's made of the fear. Honestly, <laughs> it's, like, it's like living in an episode of fucking Sons of Anarchy around here. But... I was thinking this before, like, oh my god, we used to record on a Sunday afternoon, I'm thinking, well, we won't hear the motorbike tonight, I'll tell you what we might get at some Oh, what, because they'll be in church? Well, you know, because, it's, it's like, I don't know, perhaps he just goes out on a Sunday, I don't know, perhaps there's a Hell's Angel rally on a Sunday afternoon, I don't it's know. It's a meatloaf concert. <laughs> but there's a lockdown, he ain't going to be going out on his motorbike on a Saturday night. And, and yeah. another so if, thing, there's one thing, if there's one thing bikers <laughs> are known for, it's following guidelines. Well... <laughs> I don't know. You might live in quite a respectable street, mate. I don't know. Do you, no. No. you live next to a pub, don't you? Yeah, and uh, quite a uh, disreputable joint, I oh, would right. say. So how's that been with the pub being closed? What's what's the atmosphere around, around, around your way at the moment? Well, well, the road is pretty busy because it 
kind of connects the bypass, the Wainscot bypass, uh, to right. London, yeah. into Strood itself. So it's it's a bit of a bit of an artery, really, especially yeah. at this time on a weekday is unbelievable. Yeah. The only good thing about it is that the amount of fights that you get to see through <laughs> instance of road rage. <laughs> I'll have to it's, come around. It's been a good substitute for me a while. <laughs> See, that's another thing that was a staple of the early stinking pause was um, we have been starved this last two or three years about, you know, how Millwall have been doing because... I bet, I bet it's been <laughs> devastating. <laughs> people have been writing in, Charles. People have been writing in. Yeah, they in can't be they, Yeah, they, they can't be asked to check the papers or look, you know, for themselves to see, you know. It's like, no, well, yeah. if, you know, if Charlie's not telling us how... Our Millwall are doing. We don't want to know, you know. So, so how are they doing at the moment? Tenth in the championship, but I think I've lost a real, real kind of passion for it. This is uh, a familiar conversation. Not being able to go, <laughs> not being able to go, has kind of just killed the enthusiasm somewhat. You're still watching the games online, though, aren't you? Yeah, watching every. In fact, I'm watching it more than ever because all every single game is being streamed now. So yeah. I'm, I'm watching it all the time but it just doesn't have the same aspect when you're not there in the flesh and also like big part of it is actually seeing my dad and spending time with it's, people that I wouldn't yeah. normally get to yeah. see otherwise so so fill me in on this because you know me I'm, I'm a football follower but I'm not a fan but are matches still being played at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon at the moment Ours are, like at our level, it, it's, yeah. it's quite common. Um, Is there any reason why they're to... carrying on with that? Because there, there doesn't seem to be any any reason why they should be playing at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, considering there's no crowd. Well, the main difference is, is that, that you're finding now is that um, the fixture list has been so congested where they've got to get through this season in time uh, for the Euros that it's Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. And... Uh, it's yeah. not just geared towards fan attendance, it's geared towards how teams use the week to recover and sort of set up their training sessions, I believe. Yeah. Plus European football and international breaks. Um I think there's a real moral question about whether it should be continuing at all, to be honest. Yeah. I, I don't really see how that helps the situation <laughs> remotely. But what we've got ourselves into now is a situation where money dictates everything in football it, yeah. it's just gone so far that um they can't they cannot afford not to carry on these these seasons and it, it's quite cynical in my eyes yeah i mean there was a big thing a few years ago about the christmas break wasn't there you know they were going to try and take longer off over christmas because you, you remember the christmas fixtures are always like boxing day new year's day there's there's yeah. no there's no break over Christmas, and they were talking about trying to sort of split the season in two at one point, weren't they? But that obviously never yeah. realised. I like uh, the sort of Boxing Day thing as well because you start to get a bit stir crazy indoors over the Christmas period, and it's your opportunity to sort of get out and. It's it's our equivalent of Super Bowl. Um, on Thanksgiving, not Super Bowl, like American exactly. football on Thanksgiving, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you've got the family round, but sod it, the blokes are going to go and put the telly on and go and watch a bit of sport. You know, that's that's our our escape from from you know that whole Christmas thing, isn't it? You know, um, and especially with Amazon, where they you know they've been showing every single Premiership match over that Christmas period as well. We've got we've got the yeah. choice now, haven't we? It's it's getting quite um, 
I'd say obscene, really, the level of it yeah, where true. money and television are dictating it rather than the, the quality or the spirit of the, the sport itself. But, you know, that's that's the deal that these clubs have made now. Ever since yeah. Sky Sports came calling all those years ago, I think. I can I can still hear that bike going past, mate, unless, you know, I'm not too sure. Really? Yeah, unless, unless you've got Chris Christopherson and the convoy outside your window, mate. Like, yeah. What was going on? <laughs> It should quieten down, but you never know. <laughs> I'm surprised it's picking it up. Yeah, no, I can hear it. I was, I was going to say, if, if this is going to be a traditional old school stinking paws episode, at any minute now, Marcus will walk in. That's fair, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, that used to happen in the early days. That was brilliant. He's, he's at work at the moment, and what's the time now? We're recording Saturday evening. It's nine. Uh, sorry, 19.35. Uh, yeah, he'll be back in the next half an hour or so, so you may hear. Well, he's not got the uh, Dog and Bone pub to uh, no. call in at, no. either has he? Well, that that fell down. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> um, I think they sold it and they started gutting it to turn it into flats, as what usually happens with, you know, old pubs now. Um, and, and the story is, which I think is a load of rubbish, um, that they tried knocking out a chimney breast from the bottom rather than from the top and the whole building collapsed uh personally i think they just wanted the building to collapse so that they could just you know build a block of flats on the site or something you know yeah uh, but yes he's been starved at the pub same as you not there i've sort of got used to it now really it's i feel like tom hanks when he's sort of about to go to to land in america after being stranded like how am i gonna <laughs> kind of responds to normality yeah we've all got to adjust mate you know definitely for, for me that did all my my pub drinking and my socializing 20 years ago and i've you know recently mm. i've not it's never bothered me recently that going out on a friday night or a saturday night it doesn't you know I've, i'm sitting here on a fucking day bed for god's sake mate talking to you in, <laughs> in, in, in my dressing gown right um i do feel like charlie bucket at the moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got another bloke and two women sitting here next to me at the same time. <laughs> that changes dynamic yeah. entirely. And they're all over seventy. Um, <laughs> where was I going with this? Yeah, going out on a Saturday night. It, it never bothered me, you know, so much now. But even now, with lockdown, I've been talking to Paul and our friends and and saying, yeah, all right. The fact that we can't go out makes me want to go out now. Yeah, you're deprived of it, I think. But yeah. I would say you and I are similar in, in the respect that we're quite comfortable in our own bubble. Like, you know, we watch films, we watch TV series, we read, we do yep. podcasting, we listen to podcasts. We're quite able to entertain ourselves. Yeah. But I think the the damaging thing is when you just get too used to doing only that. Yeah, and that's what happened for me, that my, my entertainment totally revolved around going to a pub. Um, yeah, and it's only... there's a word for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was the alcohol, though. I think it was the social side of things. Yeah, um, I think the, the pub has been on the decline ever since they kind of brought in the smoking ban as well. You could tell um, who kind of fucked it off at that point. That, and that, also just the, sh the sheer increase in price of the pint as well. Yeah, that's what done it for me, mate. I was smoking back then, and 
the, the enjoyment for me was sitting there with a pint and having a cigarette. Yeah. And the minute I had to go outside and leave that comfortable bar stall, you know, and shiver with my coat on, you know, in some backyard, killed the whole pub experience for me. And that was when I gave up smoking. That was when I gave up going to the pub, pretty much. Understandable. Mm. So, I don't want to make this too fucking stagey or anything, mate. This is a natural conversation, but where the the fuck have you been for the last two or three years? What have you been up to? Anything exciting? Just taking ketamine and that, really. (laughs) Is that why we ain't seen you? Fucking hell. (laughs) Uh, Which makes makes the experience of watching the film that we're going to be talking about all the more kind of relevant. um, Yeah, enlightening, yes. I've just been working and that and just going to the pub and <laughs> it's it's weird. It's weird. I kind of took my foot off the ball in terms of even film watching. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great shame because the podcast had got me to a situation where I was watching and discovering things that I would never have dreamed of spending time doing beforehand. Yeah. But at one point, do you remember, mate, we went a bit mental with it. You know, back in the early days, we, we were reviewing like... Five, do you remember the Halloween editions? Paul reminded me of this. The Halloween specials and the Christmas ones. Five movies we would sit and review. Unbelievable. And three of them would be absolute dog shit yeah. as well. And, and you'd be sitting here for 12 hours around my house and pretty much drinking from the minute you walked through yep. the door. So I was half up when I turned up. Yeah. You know, so by the end of it, you know, we, we're talking recording from midday to midnight longer than that sometimes because then after midnight once we'd finished recording the show we'd start doing silly shit on the microphones and recording jingles <laughs> and that do you remember yeah <laughs> recording stuff oh. for other people you know we, we was doing our peter cook and dudley moore impressions and, and shit like that um and it would just be like we come up with these wacky ideas of, do you remember we come up with what was it, desert island pissed I, I like the idea that we came up with that, but the first attempt at doing it, Paul, yeah. and he won't mind me saying, he was literally too pissed <laughs> to, to even recall songs that he liked. Yeah, or movies or whatever it worked. I can't even remember what the the premise of the whole thing was. And then we had an attempt at um, a commentary... And we had the bright idea of picking the shittest movie ever made to comment comment on, which was Run for Your Wife. Oh, God. We, we couldn't even watch it ironically in the end, could no. we? We had to turn it off after about 15 minutes. It was 12 minutes and I still have the recording somewhere. I'm sure I've still got it. I'll have to find that and play it back. Yeah, we, we were dabbling in lots of other things. Nothing illegal, but we were dabbling in lots of like audio stuff, weren't we, mate? And... It's just amazing that it's like eight years ago now. And it's not just us. It's all the other pop pals, mate. The guys are still going strong. We were one of the early um, members of the pod pals, weren't we? I think uh, ABH were... They were there the just inaugural. before us, yep. Um, and back then it was History of Misunderstanding with Smokey and Stephen, which have obviously now branched off into other podcasts. JT podcast. JT movie, yep. yeah. Movie. Um, so obviously Ben's still part of that, and then Adam joined us um, from the Secret History of Hollywood, and then like we've now got Kev 
on board from film guff you know it's, it's evolved yep. but still that very core group of people um that also is very <laughs> very select on who it lets in to that fucking group as well it's very exclusive it very is, exclusive it? it is yeah, your name's not Dan, you're not coming in, fuck off. No, 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 no. It's more to do with ethnicity, I find. Uh, yeah, mid, middle-aged um, white males, yes, exactly, yes. It's not a great look, is it? <laughs> it's like, do you remember we always said that our, our demographic of our listener was um, 35-year-old <laughs> single men living at home that wore black tour T-shirts? <laughs> Very specific, but also very accurate. <laughs> and, and I, the heavy metal virgin podcast we yeah, should have been Yeah, and I, I don't think we have swayed too much away from that. <laughs> you know, you haven't... We let people in with hoodies now. Yeah, we haven't evolved too much, mate, since you, you know, you've gone. You know, nothing has really changed. <laughs> you've not had a sort of Murdoch-style buyout then? Or... No, we, we've had a dabble in a couple of... Um, Little ideas, mate. Um, we we tried movie roulette. Do you remember the? Right. Um, yeah, I, well, you, you I've, might I've be listened part to the shows yeah, as well. Yeah. So. and it really didn't work. Um, basically, for, for listeners that haven't heard before, Charlie and I must have recorded eighty or ninety episodes, just me and you, pretty much on our own, with the mm. occasional guest, wasn't it? Before. You disappeared, and then Paul and Liam came on board, and then you dropped back in for a couple, and it's mainly now me and Paul. Um, when it was me, Paul, and Liam, there, there was a tendency for the boys to pick um, to just stuff. Within, yeah, this shite is a good word to describe it, yeah. Um, just stuff in the last 10 years, or stuff they were comfortable with, and there was nothing pushing the boundaries or just thinking, do you know what, I've heard of that movie, I'll have a little look at it. There was no putting the toe in the water sort of thing. Whereas me and you would be like, okay, we've heard some good stuff about this or we've heard that this is worth us watching. We'd give it a go and we would be like brutally honest whether we liked it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our sort of view of, of any movie was that no movie was bulletproof. That was what we used to say, wasn't it? You know, And it was like... If, if it's shit, I tried to do that. Yeah, I did try, but I, I even now I find myself lacking the courage sometimes to dispute a film's almost canonical status. Really, because our, our big one that we really both agreed on that we didn't get was Jules and Jim. That that was a tremendously annoying film. I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's not anything against French New Wave either, because around the same time we picked up a really sort of keen admiration for Jean Pierre Melville, didn't we? Exactly. So, so how could we get something like the Samurai, which would have been you know ten years later, um, mm. but it's still sort of lumped in that you know that genre, that era of the French New Wave stuff. But then you get the Goddard stuff, which we couldn't quite fathom out why it was. The, the status that it achieved, you know. Um, I don't mind some some Trufo is okay. I I'm, think. I'm fine with a couple of things. Trufo, catch us on cool, you know. We watch, yeah. Did we watch Le Mepri, I think, at we, the film 
at the Kino Film Club once. Is that true? Is that true? Oh God, I can't remember. They all meld into one. This is where <laughs> this is where <laughs> just, I'm gonna... just casually xenophobic. No, yeah. this, this is where the LOLO music comes in again. Do you remember? It was just like... <laughs> we. <laughs> In any foreign movie, I used to play the LOLO music. <laughs> um, Brexit I, means Brexit. Bloody right, mate. Yes. <laughs> oh. British movies from now on, we ain't watching none of that foreign shit. But but we brought in movie roulette to try and you know tempt some, some something different in, into the pit, you know, and just like let's have a go. Um, and unfortunately, it brought in things like Kurosawa's Throne of Blood, which... Which I like, but then it is Shakespeare as well, isn't it? So Yeah. And it, it just went down like a lead balloon. And the boys took over with the movie that was overhanging from your last appearance, which was Mildred Pierce. Right. That was my movie for you on the next episode but you you know that was it that you didn't turn up for the next episode or whatever happened so I thought well I've announced it the boys are going to have to watch it fuck me they hated it well you know you know the reaction oh, to Mildred Pierce. You, you I, I was there for Mildred Pierce in the end I, I was there because I think it was the same week that we did Neil by Mouth was it was that the one with Ghost Dog as well Ghost Dog was the one that I missed that I chose mm, for you yeah stitched you right up yes Yes, yeah, yeah, we we haven't forgotten that. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I don't mind that film, but uh, it's not Jarmusch's best. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm still trying to find that one. <laughs> <laughs> what about Down by Law? No, not a fan. Not a fan of Jim Jarmusch, no? mate. No. I think Again, I'm prejudiced because of Tom Waits' his appearance. Yeah, in that. yeah. Yeah, they were talking to Tom Waits. I had a, a Spotify playlist playing today and it was like um, acoustic classics yeah it, it was doing all right there was a bit of um don mclean and a bit of james taylor kicking in and then you know sure and then bloody suzanne by your man came in and he's like oh my god oh uh leonard cohen leonard cohen fucking hell i still remember i still remember your hatred for leonard cohen i don't know why it's totally unfounded this hatred for him it's you just... said no you said to me that they used to play bird on a wire in your re classes at school and oh, that kind of my re teacher was an old hippie basically yes he was yeah you know he said he was should old. be dead now <laughs> I don't know. My French teacher's still alive, and he's ninety-four or something, apparently. Christ. Uh, yeah. Um, but the RE teacher—that they were all hippies. This was a grammar school, you know. They all had big hair, you know, big hair and beards. Don- you, know, you know, like donkey the old, jackets. Yeah, it was like um, you know, they were driving Citroen two CVs and sandals. You know, it was all that sort of thing. Yeah. You know? And the, the RE teacher, I loved him because he used to always swing whatever religious conversation he was having back to the 60s and, and as many times as he could it always end up back talking about Jimi Hendrix and that late that's not bad yeah and, and for me as you know my passion for music is totally you know cemented in the 1960s um, yeah I used to love RE lessons because it was like yeah what's he going to talk about today and Woodstock would come up and the mamas and the papas and all this I'm like yeah go on bring you on and nothing to do with like any religious teachings whatsoever but I don't know how he always done it um, well at a, t- at a tenuous level you could argue that 
it's a bit like when John Lennon said, you know, we're bigger than we're bigger than Jesus <laughs> because like rock and roll and bands of that kind of stratospheric sort of size, they mm. um they were kind of taking young people away from the church and into popular culture more and more, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What but, yeah, quite tenuous. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was ever sort of pushing it towards that. But there was there was one particular lesson. He was playing for some reason the, the live set that Jimi Hendrix did at Woodstock. Mm. You know where he does the Star Spangled Banner and of course, yeah, iconic, and, yeah. But then he went. I'm just going to play you this, and he puts on fucking Bird on the Wire. <laughs> Leonard Cohen. And I, I like Leonard Cohen as much as the next man, but I can't see that going down well when you're sort of grammar school age. Yeah, because anything out of the ordinary at school, you know, when when you know you, the, the video would come out, the, you know, the TV would come out, and the video player, or it's like, right, lads, put your books away. We're going to be doing a quiz, or you know, anything out of the ordinary was always relished at school, wasn't it? Where it's not that normal teaching. And our RE teachers were brilliant at that sort of thing. And he's like, right, okay, oh, Jimi Hendrix, yeah, I, I was getting into it. Most of the other class weren't. Um, and then it went into the bird on the fucking wire. <laughs> and it's like just been ingrained in me ever since about Leonard Cohen. And the annoying thing is, me and you, not so long ago, after we started the podcast, we got tickets to go to later with Jules Holland, didn't we? That's right, yeah. And it was Leonard Cohen's son was on the bill. And he was a, he was very, he wasn't exactly trying to kind of deviate from what his father did, no, was he? It was, <laughs> it was a very strange lineup that night, wasn't it? it was um, Sinead O'Connor appeared? Holly point. Johnson. Oh my God! Yeah, and then there was, Oh, uh, Rumor, I think, was there, wasn't she? Rumor. Rumor. Yeah. Um, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. That was it. But we couldn't see a fucking thing. Do you remember? It was just. It was strange, it, but it had got to the stage of the show by then where they were starting to record it on Tuesday and putting it out live. Yeah. But then re-recording the whole thing for a more polished, extended sort of version of it on the Friday night, which mm. was the traditional slot. Yeah. So it was not only strange seeing live music in that context, but seeing it done twice. <laughs> That's true. We, it was just weird because it, it was this... The film studios down in Maidstone, wasn't it? And it was like it's a big warehouse, basically. Yeah. And they sort of shuffled us off into like the four corners of this warehouse. Um, a few people were selected to sit at the tables at the front, so it looks like you know it's all sort of relaxed. And they were given drinks and all this. Yeah. Stuff. But there was no sort of staggering of the seating arrangements or the standing arrangements, so it was all on one level. So. You know, I'm, I must admit, I'm taller than you, and even I struggled to see what was going on. You must have really been fucking struggling, mate. To see. Well, I think I was right on the end of the the stand, so I could look sort of over the side and see quite oh. clearly, especially when Labyrinth was performing, because he was right next to us. Cause that was but the like thing, when it yeah. was Sinead O'Connor... She was sitting at a table honestly. in the other corner talking to Jules Holland at a piano or whatever it may have been, yeah. Had no For all I know, it was Aid Edmondson. <laughs> Could have been anyone, mate. Dressed as a vicar. <laughs> did she sing? I think she did sing that night. I can't remember. She sang. She'd just released a new album, which was quite a heavy rock album. 
Um, but I think it's the last thing she's sort of done as a musician because I think she converted to Islam recently. Oh, why don't she just make up her fucking mind, for God's sake? <laughs> she did a Cat Stevens. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, she's going to change her name again, is she? She's gonna, she's, who's she ripping up photos of now or pictures of? Shemima Begum. <laughs> Oh, I've missed you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. If we're going to make this a bit of a traditional sort of stinking pause, I think we ought to try and find some emails, mate, do you? It would be worth looking. Um, And if we're doing emails, I think I'd better find the original jingle. Let's have a look. Why not? The familiar jingle to the emails. I haven't played that for about five years, probably. I don't see sure three years. We have two emails, Charles. Oh, intriguing. The first one is from my current co-host, Paul. Hello. Hello. It simply says... There's a new sheriff in town, mate. <laughs> it simply says, dear Scott, so he's back again. You can't. Love and hugs, Paul. Hi, Paul. <laughs> now, no, I look forward to uh, collaborating with him in the future. Y- you are back, aren't you? Let's let's just reveal to the to oh, the yes. listener that you are back now. Thank God. Yes. I waited until like the penultimate week of the fucking lockdown before <laughs> I can actually go out. <laughs> To start getting involved again. Well, the thing is, on the, on our next recording, you can come over here, mate. So it's going to be like me, you, and Paul together. You know, it's it's all going to be the social side of things again. It's going to be great. Old school. Old school. Yes, lots of alcohol and and, and all the shit that goes with it. Debauched. Oh, God, yes. Right. There is another. It would not be a stinking pause episode. Without an email from Jim from Swanscombe. Now, I have not read You're, you're joking. I have not read this. I, all I've seen is an email with his name on it, mate. So this is going to be as much of a surprise to you as it is to me. Let's have a look. <clears throat> I'm a bit scared, actually. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> right, I'm going to take a swig of beer before I even go into this. I might bang up. I don't think that'd be enough, mate. I really don't want to look at this. Okay. Dearest Scott, it's been a while. Though I've still listened to the show and followed your every move from afar like a cyber magwitch. Excellent. (laughs) This will be the first time you have received correspondence from my good self for many a year. I will therefore relate the circumstances which have compelled me to take time out of my usual pastime of sending threatening messages to cam girls and drop you a line. (laughs) While listening to a recent episode of Rated H, something mentioned by Smokey in his traditional post-show soliloquy caused me great alarm. 
He hinted at the potential return of a guest to your show. And let's be honest, just about any spastic can figure out who he was referring to. <laughs> Love the use of the word spastic there, Jim. I haven't heard that dropped into conversation for a long time. Uh, simply put, that chubby little four-eyed shit cunt isn't welcome back. <laughs> He's made his bed, and now we can fucking lay in it. <laughs> Should he return to the show, I regret to inform you that you'll be losing a listener, which I'm sure would effectively halve your overall audience. <laughs> Fuck him and his family. Best wishes, Jimmy Swanscombe. <laughs> oh, right. I'm, I'm surprised he's still listening, because we've had no... No, no word from him. Surprisingly, well, he he is he is cyber magwitch. He's <laughs> there waiting in the shadows. Oh my god, leaping out from behind tombstones. Yes. Thanks for that, Jim. Well, cheers, mate. It's it's, it's nice to know he's still alive, in a strange that, sort of way. Yes. Um, every cloud. <laughs> every cloud. Um, and, and to be honest, if you are coming back, which you are, I don't think that will be the last we hear of him. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's still going to correspond Jim, with a Jim White again. Jim, if you are listening, I'm, still... you know, just, just stay in touch, mate. You know, loft conversion. Whatever happened to loft conversion, we'd like to know. You know. I was just about to say, I, I still hope he's making the the tunes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nigel Mansell. Who can forget? So that's the emails. That's that's nice. We haven't done that for a while. <laughs> Two very kind of articulate, well-wishing, well-meaning messages there, wow. I think. It's, it's, it's nice to know that you'll be encouraged to return. Yes, you know. This... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, all joking aside, there are a lot of people that are going to be looking forward to your return and are going to relish it, mate. I mean, Morris... Um, has been badgering me to to get you back, and it's like it's down to you, mate. You know, I'm not. Like, no, it's, you know, it's, it will happen eventually, and thankfully it has. Yeah, so, um, yeah. There's been no, there's been no acrimony. There was never no. any specific reason as to why it happened. It just, it's funny how sometimes these things happen organically. But yeah. uh, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like to say the same, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I make that a hat trick now. <laughs> People are disgusted by my return. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. I need to get the, the download figures up somehow. So, um, sure. <laughs> the main reason you're back, not because you know I like talking to you and having a great conversation on the Saturday night over a beer or two. It's it's all about movies. This is what this this podcast is all about, and. This movie, you were going to bring to the table back in week one. You know, it's, it's, it's always been in your top five, this movie. Yes, and, and the source material yeah. happens to be my favourite novel of all time, I think. Here we go. So, it's celebrating its 25th anniversary. We've been doing this for eight years. It's about time we spoke about it. It's train spotting. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll do what we usually do. We'll take a break. We'll play the trailer. Be back after this. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a big television. 
You're a quiet, sensitive type. A little bit crazy, a little bit bad. Choose washing machines, cars, compact displays, and dental insurance. You lied on your application. Only to get my foot in the door. What exactly attracts you to the leisure industry? And a work. Pleasure. Like, my pleasure and other people's pleasure. He's always been lacking in moral fibre. He knows a lot about Sean Connery. That's hardly a substitute. Do you see the beast? Have you got it in your sights? Clear enough, Mitch Moneypenny. <laughs> Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth. <laughs> the man psycho, man. He's a mate. <laughs> so what can you do? What are you two talking about? Football! <laughs> what are you talking about? Shopping! What's on the menu this evening, sir? The dodgiest scam in a lifetime of dodgy scams. <laughs> Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose good health and a career. Choose your friends. Choose your future. Choose life. Okay, Charlie Train Spotting, released in the UK, 23rd of February 1996, which again is one of the reasons you brought this to the table because of the 25th anniversary, which we'll obviously chat about in a second. Directed, of course, by Danny Boyle, based on the novel by Irving Welsh, starring Ewan McGregor, Ewan Bremner, Johnny Lee Miller, Kevin McKidd, Robert Carlyle, Kelly MacDonald, Peter Mullen, James Cosmo. And a lot of other Scottish actors. What is the synopsis for those that don't know of Train Spotting, mate? Renton, deeply immersed in the Edinburgh drug scene, tries to clean up and get out despite the allure of the drugs and influence of friends. That summed it up. Quite a, a decent synopsis, in my opinion, because. Just to start off with, one of the things with this film is that I think it is so much more than that film about a group of junkies. Do you know what? When I watched it last night, the thing that I'd forgotten is I think the majority of the film is they're clean and not actually using Yeah. Isn't it? It's about them being off of heroin and not actually using at all. Absolutely. And it's... Yeah, and uh, there may be three occasions in the film where you actually see rent and take drugs. Yeah. And they're for all three different reasons as well, when you look at it. Mm-hmm. But it how many times have you seen it? I, I bet you've seen it a fair few. Uh, literally too many to count. I mean, it's it's ridiculous how many times. And it's also one of those films that crops up on things like Film 4 quite yeah. regularly. And even if it's halfway through, I've, I'll just whack it on and just sort of... just. Have it on even in the background, but um, it's, like it's never a chore to watch this film. Like a drug to you, mate, isn't it? You can't resist it. Exactly. Yeah, but for me, I don't know. It was. I like it. It's a bit like with now. This is the only comparison I can make. Is it's a bit like with now that I can fully understand why it was popular. I can understand the cult status, and I've watched it probably four or five times, but I've never got as invested in it 
as some people do and raved about it yeah. to the extent that you do. Certainly not read the book. I mean, tell us about the book because I know you just said that was your favourite your favourite novel. Um, did you read the book before the before seeing the film? Because I'm just trying. I to saw the film first. Okay, so hang on a minute, second. This was 1996. How old were you? Because you were still quite young then. Yeah, I was eight, but I didn't watch it until a long time after it came out. Right. So, you, funny you, enough, that was around. That was probably the last time I did take care of him at that age. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the methadone program kicked in about nine years old, and but three uh, shots a day. <laughs> this is what I was trying to work out because I was thinking, hang on a second, because like Charlie loves this film, and it's 1996, and I couldn't remember exactly how old you were, and I'm thinking, well, he wouldn't have seen it at its first release. So you'd have seen this, what, uni or something like that, possibly, mate, like in your team. Before league. uni, yeah. uh, probably when I was about 15 or something like yeah. that. So, um, yeah, it took a while. I think one of the interesting things about this film is, is that even though I never saw it in 1996, I was fully aware of its release yeah. because of the sheer scale of the sort of promotional campaign behind it. I even read that the... Promo campaign cost half of the uh, what the entire production budget was. That was how well marketed <laughs> this film was. It was iconic, mate. It was everywhere. Um, you sort of hinted in, you know, just in the bit where the microphones are off just a second ago that you wanted to talk to me about the whole marketing and how it sort of came across. Put it this way: I was working in the video shop. when Arnold Schwarzenegger went by once again on his motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> is that the same motorbike, by the way, or is it like different ones? If it is, it's literally a man just riding about, <laughs> just going in, like, doing the block, basically. <laughs> Singing the white oh, to himself oh, by the band. Excellent. Oh, keep that in mind, by the way. I need to talk to you about something about that later. Um yeah, so I was working in the video shop 1996 for the video release, obviously. And it was just that whole iconic poster, you know, the sideways poster and the single shots of all the characters, um, black and white with the orange, you know, writing that made them look like, I'm assuming it's supposed to be based on, on British Railway sort of transport posters type of thing. You know, that's, that was what the whole look was designed to be even the video case was on its side it had that sideways train spotting poster so it was difficult to get away from it and that whole thing about choose life was everywhere and also from the big thing that i remember was the soundtrack was as big if not bigger than the movie at the time the album yeah i mean I, I think the soundtrack was released over two volumes. It was that comprehensive. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I think they got the core of it on the first one, and then the second one came out with some of the minor tracks and some other. It might even have been like tracks influenced by the movie or something, wasn't yeah. it? It wasn't even yeah stuff that was in the film, but it was huge, mate. It was. It was one of those cases of it was just like everywhere, and. For me, I didn't actually see it. I've, I've got those wilderness years that I go on to you about, you know, that there was five years where I didn't go to the cinema or see any sort of movies or whatever. Um, and this was one of them. This was one of the movies that sort of passed me by on the big screen. I saw it on video and I've watched it, as I say, four or five times in the last 25 years. 
And this time round, I watched it last night. I've got a nice new big screen, you know, TV, 4K. Watched it on Blu-ray. Oh, lovely. Yeah, Blu-ray looked absolutely superb. So again, it's almost like a first-time watch. Um, yeah, of course. And for me, because I hadn't seen it for about four or five years, lots of stuff in this that I'd missed. Lots of stuff that I'd noticed. Lots of stuff that I'd forgotten. Um, go back to the book. I mean, we're sort of diverse. We go back to the book because you did you say you saw the film first or read the book first? I think the thing is, even though I watched the film before I read the book, what helped was that when you read the novel, uh, the descriptions are presented so uniquely mm. in comparison to the film that it doesn't kind of hinder the experience. So, uh, the example of Renton is quite a good one because not only is he depicted as being nowhere near as good looking as Ewan McGregor, mm. um, he's actually described as being quite unattractive. Uh, at one point he's likened to Alex McLeish, <laughs> which is not a great description if you know your football. <laughs> yeah. um, and Francis Begbie as well. So in the novel, he's shown as this quite large sort of domineering bullish character uh whereas in the movie um he's a small kind of sort of jack russell kind he's of a terrier, yeah, character. Yeah. yeah um and i think the reason that happened was not because they wanted to willfully sort of be unfaithful to the book but danny boyle had seen robert carlyle's performance in cracker and was just beguiled by it straight away. And I think that's what made them kind of deviate in the way that they did. So it's the one example, I think, where watching the film before reading the novel hasn't really had too much of an impact. They both stand quite well on their own work. But Welsh had a hand in the screenplay as well, didn't he? So he, he must have yeah. had some sort of like, okay. Well, he's in the film. Of, yeah, well, he is, Marcus isn't he? In the He's the film. dealer, isn't he, in the movie? Yeah. yeah. Mickey Forrester. Mickey Forrester, that's it. Um, but he had, you know, he must have had some okay over the casting because of, you know, the, the script would have had to have been adjusted to, to, to accommodate think, Robert Carlyle or whatever, yeah. I think even where there are differences, quite large differences, the spirit of the adaptation is faithful to the novel, which, by the way, I think is a masterpiece. Right. Um, I love it. It's it's great. It's a little bit difficult at first because of the dialect that it's written in. But once you've finished it, your inner monologue is basically in Scottish for the next fortnight. I did that. I went to Glasgow for a week. I think I've told you this story, didn't I? That I went on a drinking holiday to Glasgow with a Glaswegian friend. As if you're going to go on a drinking holiday, <laughs> go there. <laughs> what we did, I, I crashed on his sister's floor for a week and we basically spent 12, 14 hours a day going around every single pub in Glasgow because he was born and brought up there, obviously. And he, and he took me to some, some choice establishments. He took me to some right dives, you know. But when I came home, I was talking like this. I couldn't fucking help it. But, nice. luck, but luckily, the local pub in my village had a Cockney night on that Saturday when I came home, and I just fully immersed myself in this. Yeah. It, it was it was an entertainer called Golden Bennett, believe it or not. It was... <laughs> <laughs> That's the most Cockney thing I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, it was it was proper 
homemade pie and mash um, and Gordon yeah. Bennett providing the entertainment. Yeah, and it was brilliant. It, it just brought me back to earth because I was I was saying I instead of yes. So I could imagine... Were you dressed, were you dressed as a pounding kid? <laughs> Honestly, I, could, I, could, I, was, I was like back home. It was just, oh, yes, thank yeah. you. I'm among my people. But I, I, I can <laughs> see what you're saying about... Um, you know, you immerse yourself in a book for like a couple of hours. I mean, you you read a book from you know cover to cover in one sitting. Normally, don't you, mate? You don't try and you if, know. if I'm enjoying it, I, I can sort of devour a book. Really. Yeah. So something like Train Spotting, you could read in a couple of hours, possibly you know three hours max or whatever. And and I can see that you know you're going to get fully immersed in it, and the language that he uses and that comes across in the movie as well even to the point where you know it's the famous story that when it was released overseas there were subtitles for you know other english speaking nations that wouldn't quite get it but we even get subtitles in this in this version yeah, I love don't that. we and it's yeah, just like it's brilliant because it's, it's not just scottish it's a particular type of scottish dialect like a particular part of edinburgh leith which has its own identity was in fact even its own city up until the early 20th century so Ah, it's a bit like if you say that someone from Salford is a Mancunian yeah it's a bit of a sore subject (laughs) see that's the thing as well because I always remembered that being this whole movie was set in Glasgow but it wasn't it was filmed in Glasgow a lot of this wasn't it but yeah but it's it's Edinburgh because there's that scene yeah the the scene with the American tourist turns up Yes, uh, that's quite a prominent part of the novel, like the Edinburgh Festival and the juxtaposition mm. between these kind of fresh-faced tourists uh, frequenting the, the pubs that are full of like angry Scottish people who don't even like <laughs> the English, let alone anyone else. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's an interesting kind of thing to pick up on because it's. Although the the theme of addiction is quite a universal one, mm-hmm. I think at the time that this was set, um, that part of Edinburgh was almost known as the AIDS and heroin capital of Europe. Ah, right. So it's quite poignant. It's really sort of encapsulated that whole thing of the of the time. Um, yeah, because that Irving Welsh. Mm. Sorry, no, good. Because I was going to say because that whole thing about AIDS sort of dominates the second half of the movie. Um, yeah, it's yeah. not even mentioned, is it? Up to a certain point. Yeah, but go on, mate. Sorry. It's uh, Irvin Welsh was saying that when he wrote the novel initially, or when he wrote fragments of the novel, they were they were written in the Queen's English, yeah. and he said it just didn't work. It didn't work at all, and it was only until he started writing it in his own dialect, and making it specific to that part of Edinburgh, that it came to life. Really, so I think that as as universal as some of these themes are if you put them in a different milieu, mm-hmm. if you will, um, <laughs> it, it, it might not work. It might not work. You saying about um, the follow-up, was, it was filth, isn't it? Is that the one with the, the book cover, the the pig with the um, policeman's helmet on it? Filth is a separate Urban Welsh novel. What's the sequel um, to this in, in book form? Uh, porno. Porno. Was, right, okay. Yeah. We're sort of jumping way ahead here. T2 that came out two, three yeah. years ago, wherever it was. Is that based on porno or is it a completely separate entity? 
there are aspects of it. Right. Um, but it is very much its own film. And when uh, I think they were trying to do a sequel initially in the early 2000s, which was not long after Porno came out, John Hodge produced a screenplay yeah, and they just weren't happy with it. They just thought it was going to be a, a, a replication of what they'd already done. And I think the reason why they put it away and then went back to it as an entirely new thing is because Danny Boyle and John Hodge were more interested in making a film about how these people have aged and uh, how different a group of people they are 20 years on. Right. Because they were saying in the early 2000s, people like Ewan McGregor and Robert Carlyle, they didn't look any different. No, no, that's true. It's only recently they've started to look, not even their age, but they've started to look older now. Exactly. Yeah, so it's very, the second film is not so much an adaptation of Paul No as a... Um, a film about the aging sort of process and can you recreate your youth yeah. and is it a good idea and how much people change fundamentally over that course of time. With that in mind, I'd forgotten that Kelly MacDonald in this movie is playing like a 15, 16 year old. I'd forgotten yeah, that she's, she's a small girl. Comfortable. You know. mm. <laughs> Especially because you, because you see her in a sex scene as well. Yeah. So, at the, at the moment of that reveal, you feel somewhat violated yourself. The fact yeah. that you, you feel complicit in the fact that you've watched someone of that age take part in that kind of act, even though the actress was actually 19 at the time. She was 19, it's, right, it's yeah. Quite, yeah. It's quite a horrible thing to think about, really. Yeah, but I'd forgotten um, that she was a schoolgirl or of schoolgirl age in this movie. And also yeah. I'd forgotten that of the five six main characters she's probably got the the lesser role out of all of them yeah i would say so um even though she's quite heavily she's quite heavily promoted in all the promotional material this is what i was going to say because yeah in the promotional material everybody gets equal billing almost you know it was never always pushed to be um a ewan mcgregor movie it was never ever pushed to be a danny boyle film there, there were six five separate characters yeah and each got an equal amount of promotion but yeah sorry mate i was just just surprised that she she doesn't appear in this as much as i remember the reason for that would be because they uh produced all the promotional material right at the end of filming Mm -hmm. and well there was two reasons one is that kevin mckid had other um commitments right uh so he was abroad and he couldn't be part of of that poster so he's never in anything yeah right okay so he's not in it but also they didn't want it to just be um like five men either they wanted a bit of diversity so they had to put a female character in there Mm -hmm. um and they went with kelly mcdonald so yeah I, i can understand that why it'd be quite a surprise as to how relatively um insignificant her role is for want of a better word no, in the film. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Um but then is it Ewan McGregor's movie again, going back to this, is it is is he the focus of the story? I th- yes, I suppose he is. Yeah. And it's well that's another interesting thing as well because we look at people like Ewan McGregor now as as global stars, yeah. but he wasn't at the time, I know he'd done well in uh, Shallow Grave as Danny Boyle. 
yeah. had done previously, but yeah. he still wasn't a star at this point. None of them were, were they? I mean, Johnny Lee Miller, no. had, he, had he done that that thing, that Hollywood thing with um, Angelina Jolie before this or after? I know by the time that the premiere come around, he was going out with her, but I don't... Was it Hackers? Hackers, was it? that was it. I was trying to think. Which, yeah. I was thinking Sneakers, which is the other one with Robert Redford. Yeah. Um, but surprise... Well, not surprisingly, because it's a bloody great movie and they're bloody great actors, but most of them have gone on to major Hollywood success. Superstardom, yeah. some of them. You know, Kelly yeah, McDonald is now in Line of Duty, which is being shown at the moment, which is, which is nice to see, you know, because she's been yeah. sort of forgotten almost, but it's nice to see her still about. Um, but they've all had their little little snatch of fame, haven't they, since this, and it's been really encouraging. Robert Carlyle was a, a Bond villain at yeah. one point, I believe. You know, Ewan McGregor uh, was Star Wars, and yeah. Ewan Bremner was in a couple of things, wasn't he, after this, and... It's like you say, Kevin, Kevin McKidd's probably the one that hadn't really gone as far as the others. I would say as well, um, their trajectory has kind of moved at the same pace as Danny Boyle's. Yeah. I mean, this is his second film. And oh, it's it was... very much, I look at this, this is another similarity to Pulp Fiction in that, right. you know... He's made his Reservoir Dogs in Shallow Grave, which had a very low production budget, yet had a great box office success. Mm-hmm. But by this point, it's got to the thing where he's, he might be a critical darling, but it's also that thing of, you know, is he going to be able to replicate this with the second film in the way that maybe a Tarantino was expected to with Pulp Fiction? And like Tarantino, not only does he kind of live up to the first film, I'd say he actually surpasses it quite um, impressive. That's a very good comparison, mate. You know, those two movies. Or it, those was two movies. Was, yeah. it was that era. Yeah, was that era? Was it? Very good comparison. Um, perhaps the only difference between the two of them, those like four movies that you're talking about, is that both of Danny Boyle's are financed by Film Four on the on the whole. Yeah. Whereas as opposed Tar- to Miramax. Yeah, and Tarantino's was like independent financing, and then Miramax or whatever. Um, like a massive budget for Pulp Fiction, that we're still talking is is still minor. Is it's, at the time, you know, at the time when Trainspotting was released, no one could have predicted how it would just capture people's imaginations and how popular it would be. It's, it's a film four movie at the end of the day, you know. No one's expecting it to be. Was it Oscar nominated? I don't know. I can't remember. You know, did it win any awards? Not sure, but if it was released in February, that may have got against it as well, because Wrong time year, you're talking yeah. a whole year of that kind of... Even a great film released in February can sometimes be overlooked by the time that the nominations come around. Happens all the time, mate. That's why you see all the big yeah. movies released in December. We know that, yeah. Yeah, we know that for a fact. Yeah. But also the fact of, you know, the, the genuine content and the topic of the film, that is antithetical to being a box office success, I would argue. Yeah. Yeah, but then again, Pulp Fiction, you know, went against the grain and proved that it could, yeah. it could take that sort of subject matter, and make it into a critical and popular, Oscar-winning or award-winning movie. Um, and they both use lots of levity to kind of counteract some of the darker films. Oh, uh, themes. God, yeah, it's. I mean, 
we can go into specifics on this, but I don't want to go into scene by scene, but the, the, the famous scene with the baby, you know, watching it last night, cool. I was still thinking, is he going to show it? Is he going to go there? Is he going to go? Oh, God, yes, he has gone there. You know, you, it's like, okay. But then it's the baby on the ceiling bit is oh. deliberately made to look false. You know, it's deliberately yeah. made to look like it is a, a fevered dream of somebody that is coming off heroin. You know, it's just hallucinations and just these crazy wild nightmares. Um, and, you know, there's, there's there's a very surreal element to this. The toilet scene, yeah. Um, you know, the swimming down to to get the suppositories. The suppositories that's your bit of levity there. You know, like you say, um, Spud shitting the bed, fucking hilarious. That, I mean, that part is. I think Michael Glasper, friend of the show, Michael Glasper, we, said we, on yeah. Twitter not long ago. Um, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen that film. Yeah. The scene with Spud and the sheets just always has an impact on me. And I can see why. It just in looks fact, like shit. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. But I would actually say there are so many instances of that in the film that it's hard to pick out which is the most significant example. It's, it's bizarre because it's almost like a sequence of mini little vignettes yeah because there's no overriding beginning middle and end to this of course yeah is there i don't think is there there's no character plotting there's no story of one particular character and this is where he starts this is where he goes this is where he finishes it's an ensemble piece where each little vignette doesn't involve everybody as well you know it's like certain sequences say for instance when Begbie comes down to London that is just Begbie and Renton yeah focuses on them we'll get another sequence where it's the whole gang together apart from Kelly MacDonald then you'll get the Kelly MacDonald Renton it's it's very almost Pulp Fiction like where it's like little sequences that come together to make a whole is that, do you know what I'm saying it's it's not like your traditional without, narrative. Without wanting to harp on about the novel too much, because it's a film podcast, that is very much where the adaptation is faithful. Right. In that the book could almost be a collection of short stories there as opposed go. to one narrative. And you see it more more than anything with the conclusion of the film, because it's like a separate caper almost, isn't it? Yeah. It yeah. doesn't really bear any significance to what has happened before, or even the theme of heroin addiction, really. No, it's just like another. It's, it's the drug deal thing is something that's completely separate to what we're introduced to at the beginning. And I think a lesser film would have built the entire ninety-minute running time around that conclusion, but yeah. it's so confident in what it does throughout that it's like, yeah, we'll just have this at the end. You know, we don't have to build... We, we might build up the characterisation, but we're not going to gear it intentionally towards this cable at the end because that's just one segment. It's not the whole crux of the matter. Yeah, it's like the Chekhov's gun thing, isn't it? If you introduce something in the first act, you've got to make sure you, you know, resolve it at some point. It's not introduced until the third act at all. It just it doesn't exist, that whole part of the caper. Yeah. 
I thought it was interesting as well that um, it almost entirely glosses over Spud's experience of being in prison for six months. There's this big gap, isn't there, at one point? Mm. Very big gap. Um, even but, even Tommy's deterioration. But that's the thing, is, is, yeah. Is only... it, it gives us a good, a, a good break that gives us how bad he's got. Mm. You know, it, it, it glosses over Spud's being in prison at the time. But then you've also got this really remarkable change in his um in in Tommy's you know demeanor. The, the flat is a perfect example. Look at the flat, Tommy's flat that was pristine with all the videos lined up and the weight bench and all that lot. It's just just turned into a shithole after six months, and that was only because we see the initial you know I I want to try it. Here's the money you know, and, and that was the start of then what becomes this hellhole. It's very good, very good the way this is done. It's only 90 minutes. It's, I don't even think it's 90 minutes, is it, this movie? It's a very short film considering the sheer amount of content that you yeah. were given. Absolutely. Um, I know it's the fact that, you know, uh, this film and Danny Boyle's work in general tends to move at a sort of breakneck speed. Yeah. But to cram that much in into that running time and make it work is just an impressive achievement in itself, I think. I can see why you like it. I can see why you've got a great admiration for this. Um, it's also a little bit, not strange, but it's a bit trying to get me around this, that you was eight when this came out. So mm. yeah, the equivalent for me when I was eight, Star Wars came out. You know, it's like, Slight, <laughs> Slightly more innocent. <laughs> so I don't know, like 1977, yeah, 77. I, you know, I can't think of the equivalent that, you know, I would have gone back to and, you know, in my teenage years and thought, oh, yeah, this is the film that I'm going to love for the rest of my life. Um, well, I think the controversy surrounding the film made it immediately more attractive. Yeah. Because at eight years old, I distinctly remember, like, my parents saying, no, you can't watch that. <laughs> you know, a, 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 a parent would protect their child. I'd like to think a parent would protect their child from a film. Was you asking that... to watch it at eight years old then? I, I sort of, I was interested. I asked, oh, can I watch that? Because I think they rented it on video, like right. as, as everyone would have done. And they said, no, you can't watch that. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not very nice. Um, yeah. And I think it, what that sometimes does is it, it kind of makes, the censorship of that makes something slightly more alluring, doesn't it? Of course it, it really? does, mate. Yeah, it's the old forbidden thing, isn't it? Forbidden fruit, mate. Yeah, you've got to fucking watch it. Of course but having said that, I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't watch it at the age of eight, <laughs> either. <laughs> Uh, because it would have it would have scarred me somewhat, and yeah, I was fifteen, I think, by the time that I did. So perfect age, uh, perfect age to watch a film like this. I think. Where, where does it stand in your 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 movie list, mate? It's, it's, I know I, I say top five for you, but I, I think it might even be higher. Where it could potentially be top five. Um, I need to reassess what that is at the moment. To be fair, yeah. because a lot of the films that feature I haven't seen for quite some time now. Right. But I think I could confidently say it would be in my top ten films of all time, and I think it's right up there in the kind of um, category of British films as well. How often do you go back to it? Quite often, actually. Yeah. Like I say, it's, sometimes it's not by design in yeah. that it will be yeah. on television, and I'll just stick it on. But um, yeah, I would say there isn't another film that I've seen as many times as Trainspotting, actually. Bloody hell! Well, it's like. Like I said to you, it's like I fully appreciate its its status, its cult status. It's 
you know why people love it but it's, it's never been one of those ones that have just got me um but every time i watch it i always come out of it thinking well why haven't i watched this more often it's one of those it's a right. very weird category for me um yeah with now when we reviewed with now i hadn't seen that for a few years and i'm like oh it's that cult movie i hadn't really loved it again you know then we did it for real britannia a few years later of course yeah and it's like yes i've I've, I've got it actually got it um talk about the soundtrack i don't want to wind this up just yet because we were talking about promotion and the posters and how it was actually Mm. sort of brought across to the public it's one of those cases isn't it mate where the soundtrack was equally as important as the movie as the promotion itself and if it if it doesn't actually transcend it uh, yeah and, and also one of those soundtracks that wasn't reliant on music that was going to be released and sort of hit the charts it was old old music you know it was old hits that had already been yeah. released it was a bit it's, like an american it, graffiti type soundtrack almost in that respect it was just you know old hits it's funny to me as well that um, in in a lot of uh, instances this is described as a Britpop film, but actually mm. I think with the exception of two kind of minor songs on the soundtrack from Pulp yes. and Sleeper. Sleeper, um, yeah, they do the, the, the Blondie the cover. That's right, yeah. Mm. yeah. The entire um, soundtrack is anachronistic really and it's based on what Irving Welsh likes and what uh, Renton listens to in the novel how many references um, to Iggy Pop are there throughout the movie you know? it, oh it's I mean you'd be out you'd be better set to kind of say than I am and I was going to ask <laughs> you um did this give Iggy Pop a bit of resurgence in popularity at the time because yeah. I can't imagine he was getting into the UK charts much in the mid 90s yeah. honestly obviously lust for life got re-released and went in Passenger mm. I don't think nobody had ever heard that apart mm. from you know Bowie and Iggy Pop fans you know the real diehard fans um, and he did he just brought it he was like oh oh it's him it's, it's that guy from the Lou Reed era you know it's him yeah <laughs> and he wasn't he wasn't a major player at all mate you know until then and it was Lust for Life that actually kick-started or re-kick-started his career yeah Yes, that that's an interesting one for me. That's a bold move because what they're doing is they're they're picking up artists who aren't unestablished, but aren't guaranteed. Um, there's no guarantee that if you insert like a Lou Reed song or a Nicky Pop song into your film in 1996, that it's actually going to improve the popularity. Exactly, and I was trying to think as well watching it last night when they played Perfect Day. Mm. Was this before or after it was released as the Children in Need single? This is what I was wondering as well, because I'm thinking (laughs) if it it makes sense that it would be after Train Spotting because it would have kind of uh, been in the consciousness of given us. But but why? (laughs) Did did anybody not ask about this at all? It's. Do your research. I mean, <laughs> before you get Ronan Keating and Doctor John on board or whatever, for fuck's sake! It's like... <laughs> the, the only 
Dr. John showing up was so <laughs> random. Dr. John never spool altogether. At last. <laughs> yeah, the lineup you have oh. been waiting for. <laughs> the, o- the only thing I can guess is like if they, they were sort of pointing towards like the, the baby, you know, um, the amount of children that are deprived of what they should have because of their parents having a crippling sort of addiction. But part of me also thinks, like, no. got to keep it a bit light. Yeah. I, I honestly don't think anybody read the memo, the, the children you need. You know, I honestly think it was just one big misjudged fucking decision. And honestly, it's it's even more shocking because the BBC has always been consistently brilliant in their decisions surrounding children. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is why I'm glad you're back. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> do you know what? I, we... I'm just going to ask. Sorry, do Go you on. know anyone who doesn't like the film? No. No, I don't think because I do. it's, it's it's always one any of negativity. Mm. Sorry, no, sorry. that's what I'm saying. There's there's nothing negative that I've ever been introduced to by anybody about this movie because you mentioned Train Spotting. Oh yeah, great movie, love it. Nobody ever says nobody ever says I've never seen it actually as well. Oh no, no, I watched that one. Not seen that. It's one of those ones that everybody has seen, and everybody's come away going, yeah, that's okay, great film. Nobody's ever gone. Didn't like that. Nah, couldn't couldn't get into that at all. Yeah, that's that's what I've kind of picked up on. And I think if there is any negativity towards it, it was at the time and based more on uh, moral issues than critical ones. So yeah, yeah. I've seen footage of people like Barry Norman sort of questioning the integrity of the film based on whether it. Um, condones or condemns the uses of heroin, which is really disappointing for me. Um, because I think if you watch this film and your one takeaway, <laughs> your one takeaway of this film is I'd quite like to try heroin. Oh, yeah, that, that's really sold it to me. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> but even... Fucking hell. <laughs> Sorry, I heard that again. It's getting worse. It's like they that they've been pre warned that yeah, I've come yeah. back to the show. Yeah, it sounds like he's popping wheelies out there now. For fuck's sake, what's going? He probably on? is. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I mean, even it's, what you've just said there is surprising. Even in 1996, Barry Norman is making those sort of questioning remarks. It's deeply puritanical um, and. Not something that I would associate with a man of his intelligence. Oh, God bless him. Yes. <laughs> and why not? But yeah, as I say, that is the only negative kind of reaction to the film that I've ever seen. Um, but I, I think it's so misguided to, to say that this film condones the use of heroin. I think... It certainly doesn't glorify it, mate. <laughs> I could understand it if it was coming from people who'd still not seen it. A bit like the kind of Malcolm Mugridge. Just about reaction. to say Life of Brian. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. I, yeah, I could see that because of the. I'm going to make a word up here the glossifying of it, the MTVing of it. You know, there is one big sort of MTV video sort of thing, one big pop video. 
because of the reliance on the soundtrack and the short, sharp, sort of snappy storylines that are within the the major story, which isn't a major story like we said, you know, it's just little individual, you know, plots and vignettes. Yeah, that makes it appealing to the youth, but it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I think there's a, a wider issue at play as well in that it's doing something important in saying that um, because you are addicted to heroin, you are a fundamentally bad person. It, it doesn't work like that. And I think there's a lot of demonisation of working class characters when they are addicted in TV and film and theatre, whereas this turns it on its head and shows you that how multifaceted people are and tries to explain some of the reasons as to why people do get into addiction in the first place. Yeah, which well, is like we said at the beginning, the, the, the bulk of this story is about them being clean and not actually using anyway. And, and in each situation where Renton uses is a completely different reason for him using. You've got and to look I think into that. Yeah, no. Sorry. I think it's important to show that there is a fun aspect of, you know, taking drugs probably are really enjoyable to begin with. Otherwise, yeah. people wouldn't do it, as Renton said. Mm. Yeah. But I just, I despise this kind of tunnel vision sort of view that you can't seriously talk about something like addiction without um you know showing that that there are aspects of humanity in the people that do it i mean without going into it too deeply i know both you and i have and currently have experience you know working lives of, of supporting people with addiction yes we do yeah that's it so, that's, that's what we do five days a week mate yeah yeah and it's it's for me anything that gives a three-dimensional representation of people who are in that situation is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's difficult to remember and difficult to imagine some, just how important or how influential this movie was at the time. Um, it, it's, it's strange because as I said, it was a minor British movie. It, was, it wasn't promoted as anything too big at the time, but then the promotional, sort of like the posters and all that, like captured people's imagination. And it was constantly... Um, it was Lust for Life was the soundtrack. It was always played on the trailers and all the stuff that we saw. And it was just made to be this vibrant, exciting movie. It was like, okay... and. and it, the drug aspect of it was never really promoted, even though the yeah. whole thing is about drug use. The whole story, this whole thing. Um, you look back at the trailer, it was the Sean Connery impressions and shooting the dog with the air rifle. It was, <laughs> Which is ironic. <laughs> it's really ironic, given who um, Johnny Lee Miller's grandfather is. Exactly, right? And then it was... It was the, the the whole thing about the choose life. It was the the running, the running sequence at the beginning, rolling over the car bonnet, and all of that. Th there was no mention of drugs at all. The, the, the toilet bit, I think, was promoted in the in the trailer. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. It was just it, it was promoted as this. It's almost like Pulp Fiction. When you look under the skin of Pulp Fiction, there's a there is a very dark side to Pulp Fiction, but nobody sees it's a bit that. Of, 
there's a bit of smack in that as well. Yeah, well, there's the whole thing with the adrenaline, in the, you know, the whatever. Um, but nobody realizes that they just look at the the lighter elements of it, and it's, it's yeah. Not, it's, and this doesn't trivialize drug use at all. We're not saying that. Um, and as you said, there's some levity in this as well. But but I think as well in that instance when you're talking about the promotional campaign, I think maybe focusing on the heroin side of it would have been devastating for the film's success um, because it enabled people to go and watch it with an open mind rather than having that, uh, you know, protests and boycotts, as I'm sure people would have done. I'm trying to remember if there was any reaction to it, some anti, you know, oh, God, no, you can't. Apart from the Barry Norman thing that you've mentioned, you know, I can't remember sort of anti-feelings towards this I've seen a segment from I think it was Newsnight right. Jeremy Paxman is kind of <laughs> I didn't see what ensued but he, he was quite kind of damning or, or not not condemning the film himself but introducing a debate that inevitably happened on the programme yeah um, but I think because the film was so bloody successful it was inevitable that there would be some form of backlash anyway. So yeah, like you said, the good comparison is the uh, the Malcolm Muggeridge and the uh, Life of Brian thing on the Tim Rice show. That 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 is just an amazing piece of television. Um, Despite the fact that they've never actually seen it, I was just about to say that they never actually watched the movie, and I can imagine there might have been a few voices being raised. About oh no, it's like you said, glorifying drug use, but it's not at all, absolutely not. Shall we take a little break? Um, I was thinking, as we're doing a bit of a traditional stinking pause episode, mate. Should we go back and do a six degrees of separation for a bit of a laugh? Why not? I think it would be uh, proper to do so. <laughs> See you in a minute. And now, from Norwich, it's the Quiz of the Week. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Six Degrees of Separation. Charlie and I have not played this game for fucking hell, Alan, mate. When was the last time we did this? We stopped it a long time ago, even when we were still t- recording. <laughs> because basically, when we started recording over Skype, we thought technically we couldn't do this. Because um, we used to record in the it, same room, didn't we? And it was easy. You know, we could, you know, we could hear the, you know, the, whatever was being played. And because every other aspect of the show was just so well done, it was, and perfect, it, we didn't want to taint it. Yeah, it was a well-oiled machine, mate. It still is. right so to complicate matters all right we're only about two and a half miles apart or whatever but we're over skype i've got a tablet plugged in now to the mixer to try and play you my six tunes there's no sort of rhyme or reason to this apart from there's six bits of music that are vaguely connected isn't it is that the gist of it i can't remember it was our when we started doing the podcast. It was our concession to the fact that we are such big fans of music 
but didn't want it to sort of encroach <laughs> on the on the rest of the podcast, if you right. know what I mean. Okay. So I think that's why, because thinking about it, yeah, it just, just makes no sense to have this as a feature, no. does it? No, which is the Stinking Paws podcast all over, mate. Nothing makes that, sense. That's, that's a Stinking Paws manifesto. <laughs> yeah, nothing makes sense. That's the subtitle yeah. to it, yeah. Oh, that's, that's not in the rule book. Guilty. Get a new <laughs> rule book. So. so what I've done... And I warn you now, I compiled this after a few whiskies on Thursday evening. Well, about two o'clock on Thursday morning, actually, I think it was. Lovely. Um, I'll give you a clue. The first song has a connection to the movie we've reviewed in some respect. And then it's up to you, mate. That's all I'm going to say. It's up to you. God help you. All right? And I'll, I'll give you a few clues. Likewise. I will give you, oh God, yeah, I've got to hear yours yet as well. Are you ready, mate? So, yep. first song. Correct Willie Nelson. It's Willie Nelson. Fifteen cars and fifteen restless riders. I'll, I'll give you a clue. It's very vague. Train spotting. This song is about. Train. It's about a train. Yeah. Right. Okay. Have you not heard this before? It's the city of New Orleans. Don't know if I'm familiar with the song, but his voice is unmistakable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Right, so bearing in mind, Willie Nelson, City of New Orleans. Okay? Yep. Ah. Wings. Yep. Live and let die. And large portions of the film was set exactly particularly the beginning bit with the funeral and all that sort of stuff and the jazz band yeah and uh oh good opportunity to shout out um Yafet Koto as well yes god bless him yes yeah we've lost a few Bond villains and you know um Bond girls over the last year or two haven't we Honor Blackman yeah loads of people Sean Connery himself of course okay live and let die Actually, we've got a Sean Connery tribute coming up, which you are going to be part of later in the year, mate, as well, by the way. Excellent. Okay. Live and let die. Paul McCartney and Wings. Bear in mind, this is me and you here, mate, so think way outside. It's Danny and the Juniors. Is it something to do with the chicken? No. The title of the song is At the Hop. Hmm. Wings at the Hop. Paul McCartney at the Hop. Paul McCartney's wife. Current or previous? Linda? No. 
I've missed you. <laughs> you were a man after my own heart. Excellent. Okay, so Paul McCartney was famously married to a lady with one leg. <laughs> <laughs> There's Danny and the Juniors at the hop. It gets better. I'm Jake the Big with my extra leg. Wherever I go through. I don't know. You don't see him on telly now, do you? No, honestly, all he needed to do was settle down and have kids. <laughs> I like the fact that you've used two tracks to really kind of uh, mm-hmm. mock But mate, honestly, your your return to the show was worthy of it. I'm telling you, so <laughs> so honestly, it's quite easy. Honestly, we've gone from lady with one leg to gentleman with three. That's the connection on this. Okay. <laughs> Believe me, that's no fun. I'm Jake. The <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Jake the Pig, Rolf Harris. It's so focus on Nicole Kidman, mate, is your clue. Is it a matter of nationality? Exactly, that's all it is. Nice. Yep, Nicole Kidman, Rolf Harris, Australian, yep. Now, I hinted to you that I'd actually had a bit of... Th- you know, a bit of thought about this, and I've managed to get the last track to sort of link into the first track and the movie we've been talking about. So the last track is this. This is a cover version of Elton John. Yeah, but it's not that current. Listen to the voice. You'll kick yourself. It's from a film. Am I? Is it? Is it uh, from Moulin Rouge? Yes. You and McGregor. Yes. Nice. Well done. So. Linking it to Nicole Kidman? Um, they were in Mola Rouge together, weren't they? Exactly. There you go. That's your six degrees of separation. Nice one. Well, this is this is uh, 
a lot better executed than my one. Never seen Moon on Moosh, actually. I was very disappointed with it because I like Baz yeah. Luhrmann. Very disappointed, yeah. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> Bit overblown, yeah. <laughs> it, it seemed like it was going to be um, an incredibly camp film, and that's not me saying there's anything wrong with being camp, but mm. I don't really get the impression that I was the target audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I like a musical. You like a musical as well, mate. I do, yeah. yeah. I appreciate a well-made musical yeah. as much as the next one. But, you know, and I like Baz Luhrmann stuff as well, but it just really didn't kick in for me, mate, you know, at all. Oh, God, look I, think, I felt the same way about Gatsby. Yeah, that's the other one, isn't it? He, 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 he's got to find a level somewhere, isn't it? There's, there's, a, there's a level of Luhrmann that we like. <laughs> yeah. You don't want maximum Lerman. We don't want Max, um, no, no, we don't don't want to go full Lerman. None um, more Lerman. <laughs> I think this is the precursor to the greatest showman kind of thing. Really. It is a wee bit, isn't it? Yeah. Aye. So should we do your six, mate? Shall we? Let's. Let's. I, I don't know if you listen to um, Radio 4. You know, um, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. No, I'm 32 years old. I, no, sorry, but no, I don't yeah, no the, the, the comedy stuff, like, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue, which everybody should listen to, you know. the Speaking genuinely, I don't mind a bit of Radio 4. Yeah, exactly. But I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I haven't got a clue. As, you know, that famous, it's been going 50 years with Tim Brooke Taylor and it was Humphrey Littleton originally. It's now Jack D is in the chair, you know, and it's that spoof quiz sort of thing. And, and one, yeah. of the, one of the rounds they have is that they ask... Um, the audience. Oh, sorry, they asked one of the panel to sing a song to the tune of another. Right. Right. So they asked Tony Hawks. You know Tony Hawks, the comedian. What? I was going to say the skateboard. No, no, no. The other Tony Hawks, the comedian. Right. Um, to sing "Girlfriend in a Coma" to the tune <laughs> of "Tiptoe Through the Tulips." Excellent. Have you not heard it? Do you want me to? I haven't. You now, Tony, would you please sing the words of Girlfriend in a Coma by the Smiths <laughs> to the tune of Tiptoe Through the Tulips. Girlfriend in a coma, I know, I know, that it's serious. So, girlfriend in a coma, I know. really serious. There are times when I could have murdered her, but I would hate anything to happen to her. Do you really think she'll pull through? Do you really think she'll pull through? Oh, girlfriend. Yes, it's serious. My, 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 my baby. Goodbye. 
This is old school stinging paws, mate. Where else would you get that? Well, I'm more concerned at how well that works, if anything. <laughs> okay. You ready for yours? Sure. Or are you looking for something else? You seem to be like desperately trying to find something. I'm just looking Tony Hawk's up, actually. I don't know exactly who he is now. That he did, he did, yeah, he did Round Britain with a fridge, was the book he wrote, I think. I mean, he happens to be very unlucky as a celebrity in that he's the he's by some considerable distance the second most famous Tony Hawk on the planet. <laughs> he he used to be same equivalent of um oh I don't know what's his face Tony Slattery he used to be on everything at one point. Oh, uh, whose line is it anyway? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. He used to be on everything, and I went to. Um, See just a minute. The other Radio Four quiz show. Oh, uh, Le- uh, Leslie. Um... No, no, the other one, one that died. Nicholas Parsons. <laughs> Nicholas Parsons. Yeah, um, and it was one of his last ones. I saw it about two years ago, a couple of summers oh, ago, really? before lockdown. Yeah, um, at the BBC Radio Theatre, and Tony Hawks was one of the guests, and Paul Merton. Um, that's their sort of uh, that's that's their jurisdiction as, as yeah. comedians, isn't it? The sort of radio four stuff. Oh. And it was brilliant because it was it was a bit of an ambition, you know, to see just a minute. Because mm. we went to um, I saw Counterpoint with Paul Gambaccini a few years ago as well. Which oh, was, that was he's cool. another one who wants to be careful. <laughs> or gambers. Well, it, it, didn't he? He got implicated in a lot of the same thing as Cliff Richard. I think. Well, only because they were mates. Because I know there was, and this one's quite common knowledge that you know Kajagugu, lead singer Lamal. Yeah, he, he actually had a bit of an affair with Lamal. Sorry, I, I can't help but just think of the theme for the never-ending quiz from Rated A. Never-ending quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Fuckers, then, so I tell you. <laughs> They're brilliant. They are fucking brilliant. They go really they well together. So they really go well yeah. together, don't they? And I think that tells its own stories that every time they're talking about a film that probably won't interest me, yet I can't wait yeah. to listen to it. Yeah. I, I don't care if I haven't seen the film or if I know the <laughs> film inside out, whatever. I'll, I'll just listen to it, um, like their episode of Rated H. I won't be like, oh, I want to see the film before I hear what they say. It's like it's no, a dynamic between yeah, those two. I think. I'd, I'd rather listen to what they say than watch the film. In certain cases, yeah. it's like, Don't, bit, next one will be good. Rosemary's Baby. Oh, yeah, because it's the unseen thing, isn't it? Because I replied to the Twitter thing the other night. That yeah. Put out. Um, that's the one we did for Married with Clickers, wasn't it? Fucking hell. It was, yeah. Uh, like the one film that we do for someone else and um, should be respectful, yeah, is a film directed by who, what should be a convicted sex offender. <laughs> the the good thing that came out of that was that we became friends with Mark from the Good, the Bad, and the Odd. Yeah, and then I did the Stephen King thing, Dance McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah, nice. He's he's done that a few Real Britannias with us. He was on last week. Actually, we did one with him last week. We did um. The movie version of Doctor Who and the Daleks because he likes the old, you know, sixties oh, yeah. sci-fi and that. Um, the last uh, Real Britannia I listened to, you did Mutiny on the Bounty with the guy from the Glass Onion. That's a stinking pause. Is it a stinking pause? That's a stinking. Oh yeah, because Steve Steve was on it, weren't he? That's yeah. why I'm getting it mixed yeah. up. 
Yeah, because I was sort of I was sort of like mixing up the 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 guests and the presenters and that because yeah, not, not everybody was available. And Stephen said, "Oh, I'll do the odd stinking pause with you," you know. Um, mixing it very jazz, just mixing it up, sort well, of, you know. It's, it, I like to think of it as the stinking pause stable, the stable of presenters, you know. I, I like to think of you as the Miles Davis's podcast. Is that me? So. A bit of a fusion? Is that what we are? <laughs> bit of improvisation. It is, yeah, and and goes on for four hours, and and just at the end of it, there's nothing, you know, concrete. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. It's just four hours of like, yeah, that was okay. Sure, nice, <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's rock. I'm terrified. Well, you compiled this for God's sake. Okay, this is your yeah. choice, right? Six. All I all I've got in front of me, mate, is six MP3s which you sent over. Okay. Right. Yeah, they're all in the right order. I think. I, I hope so. They're numbered one to six. <laughs> yep. If they're not in the right order, this really is going to fuck the whole concept of this quiz. <laughs> it would help. <laughs> okay. I think the only thing is, is with number six. Because it's converted from a video, it takes about five seconds to kick in. So, a bit like my brain, it's not a problem, with, it's, <laughs> it's not a problem with the fire, which just takes a little longer. Okay, let's see how we go. Is there anything I need to know about this first MP3, or is it? I, I think you said to me it's first, the first is, is, is related to the film. Quite. Okay, it's, it's from the soundtrack, isn't it? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it, let's rock. Oh, well, that's fairly obvious from the start. That's Perfect Day Lou Reed. Yep. The uh, Perfect Children in Need anthem. Incredible. Let's let's not dwell on that too much, but he's still fucking incredible. This was released as a charity having, single. <laughs> having spoken about it, that's the only tenuous link I could make, that it's to do with all the kids that sort of forgotten because of... I don't think there was any link at all, mate. I just think they just I'm thought it was a nice... too much credit. Yeah, I? I just think somebody at the BBC thought this was a nice-sounding tune. And Lou Reed thought, bring, bring The song is literally about taking heroin. Yes, exactly. Good album. Well, Brent Ford. Do you know what? I, I was late coming to Velvet Underground, Lou Reed. You know, that was one of me my later discoveries in life and I fucking love it you know the old Nico and all those guys that were part of it I, 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 Velvet Underground and Nico is an unbelievable yeah. album I think yeah okay so that's this is Lou Reed it's not Velvet Underground this is Lou Reed isn't it this is Lou Reed first oh, okay. solo album right okay produced by David Bowie exactly. but that's not relevant to the next one okay so the second one So Superman by Laurie Anderson. Correct. Sorry to get that so quick. No, that's, I mean, it's quite distinctive, isn't mm. it? This song used to terrify me. My mum was working in the pub when this came out. The pub that I eventually took over as landlord many, many years yeah. ago. And this is back in the days where seven-inch singles were, you know, replaced week in, week out. You know, somebody would come in and replace the seven-inch singles in the jukebox. 
And of course, this was in the top 10 or whatever at the time. Then got to number two. Yeah. When it was released. And the regulars in the pub used to put this on just to wind up my mum. <laughs> to the point where my mum, who had the keys to the jukebox, took it out and smashed the fuck out of it on the bar. I bet she did. I bet she did. But this, I remember showing you this on video at the earliest stinking pause on YouTube. Yeah. I think Liam yeah. was here one day. Right, so Laurie Anderson, Lou Reed. Oh, super. Yeah. Were they dating, Laurie Anderson, Lou Reed? They, uh, they were married. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. Nice, well picked up one. Mm. I, was, I wasn't sure how well publicised that was I don't but, think it was that uh, was a guess mate honestly but but I, th- I think they were married right up until his death oh like, right okay yeah and he's been dead about 10 years now I think is it that long well, I suppose so because Bowie's gone it's, five yeah yeah I saw Lou Reed not long before he died at the hot farm he was supporting that, uh, Morrissey funnily enough that freaks me out the, 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 the hot farm in um, in Maidstone that also had yeah. bloody... But didn't Bob Dylan play there at one point? I was there that year as well, <laughs> and Prince. And Prince. <laughs> Just imagine Prince walking down Fremlin Wall. <laughs> oh, this still... Yeah, it's, it's one of those creepy, frightening songs, but at the yeah. same time, you can't stop listening to it because there's that underlying progression of this. You, the, you can hear the... It's it's just not that but 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 there's that that tone going at this. Yeah. It's a work. Yeah, it's an interesting scene. I would say work a genius, but I'd be wrong. But (laughs) okay, Laurie Anderson. Talking about giving Pete too much credit. (laughs) See that? Nice. Okay, Laurie Anderson, no Superman. Right, I've got a sort of an idea, but the, the, the way he just said the word snot running down his nose, is it an English or a British artist? It's rather, a, rather than uh, American. Oh, it's a British artist, yeah. yeah. rather than American, is the word snot. The voice sounds familiar, but I'm not 100% on this. So, if I told you this artist was synonymous with playing the flute, Jeffro Tull, Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson. Yes, that, R- that is it's literally right. Uh, so, yeah. that's the voice then. Yeah. So, Ian Anderson to Laurie Anderson. Is that where we're going? That's it. Ah, yep. Right. Yep. There you go. There's probably about another 19 minutes of this. <laughs> <laughs> so was this solo stuff that he did then I take it yeah? uh, this is Jeff Rotel oh it is this right is okay. by Jeff Rotel that's why I know it it's just one Not of those cup of tea, I yeah, have to be honest just one of those albums that you have to listen to just to say you've listened to it yeah file it away for, yeah file it away for future reference and say yep yeah, I've, I've heard it yeah okay so what are we on there number four 
That's Ugly Duckling. Yeah. Right, hang on, is it Mike Reed? Yeah. Sorry to get that so quick again, so mate. It's... Oh, it's a classic, oh, that moment. Oh, it's one of the greatest songs ever written. Honestly, as, as children records go. Right, and I know what, because I've got it. The Ugly Duckling was written by Hans Christian Anderson. Well, I've gone oh, double down. Yeah. Okay. Double down. It was that. Yeah. But also, if you think. Yeah, hang on. Do you want me to go let really here? Hang on then. Jeffro Toll. Aqualung. Aqualung? Is that anything to do with duck, ducks? Ducks? Do you think the name of the artist? The Mike, previous artist? Ian Anderson. Uh, the, the band's name. Jeffro Toll. He invented the so sea Jeff drill, Ro- didn't he? So Jeffro and Mike Reed. Stand up comedians. There you go. But you but have. I, you've, you've done a I, double bubble, wouldn't you? Yeah. I've done a double bubble where I went lowbrow and highbrow there. <laughs> so, and you've got the highbrow one first. And there's me going like super highbrow saying Jeffro Tyler invented the scene drill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where would that lead to? <laughs> yeah. For, for people that haven't heard this, just listen. It's Mike Reed at his best. To the flock of swans that spy there. And very soon agreed, <laughs> you're a very fine swan indeed. Who are you calling a swan cocker? Now turn it in, otherwise I shall be compelled to hang one on your beak. So the top man of the swan said, now play the game, son. Use your brains, take a look at yourself in the reflection of the lake, and you'll find that you are a swan. So he did. Lo and behold, he said, you are in order. Look at me, I am a swan. And don't I look delightful? Look at my new white whistle and flute. Terrific. <laughs> Run around now. <laughs> it's not quite Vincent Price on Thriller, but um, no. it has its impact. Oh, I'd almost forgotten about that. Who else did a version of that? Someone else did a version of it. Probably Frank... William Shatner. No, Frankie Howard. Frankie Howard did a version right. of that. Okay. Where are we now, mate? Number five or six? Number five. This this, this is sort of self-explanatory, but okay. it, it becomes slightly more difficult to oh. sit. Yeah. Okay, so Mike Reed, Ugly Duckling, going into this. <laughs> What's the East Enders theme? He played Frank Butcher. Yep, simple as that. It's simple as that, okay. Yep. Oh, I thought you might have played the Nick Berry... Vocal? No, it wasn't Nick Berry. It was what's her face, wasn't it? Anita Dobson done the vocal uh, version. Didn't yeah, she? yeah. I, there was there was a kind of conscientious reason for that, but okay, all... okay, okay. Number six. It's Radio Gaga, isn't it? From my favourite band. <laughs> <laughs> ah, right. Can't believe Anita Dobson is married or was going out with Brian May. Correct, you've got it. Is well that done. what it is? Excellent. Yeah, well done, separation mode. Do you know what? I don't think I've ever completed a six degrees of yours before. 
Oh, that was uh, that was impressive. <laughs>
is very welcome exactly. in my book. Exactly. Exactly. You'll love it. It's one of my favourite Audrey Hepburn movies. I mean, we both loved Roman Holiday when we reviewed it many yeah. years ago now. Um, I don't think we've actually done Breakfast at Tiffany's on the show. It's, it's one of we the haven't ones. no mm. we haven't i think we've spoken a bit about truman capote for some reason we did actually, actually going into that or in cold blood um mm. i think it was because he's friends with harper lee he was friends with harper lee that so was, was a crossover there that was brought up at some point wasn't it yeah so sabrina is the next movie that the three of us will be doing in a couple of weeks time but what i'm going to ask specifically of yourself mate is that perhaps you and me can do another old school stinking pools episode together just me and you and since you chose this one which was train spotting i'm going to pick one that not necessarily one that paul's not going to like but it's it's more akin to what me and you used to do okay okay all right um and we've had a great laugh doing the six degrees of separation and Music has always been a sort of common link with me and you, as well as the movies. Yeah. It's a genre we haven't actually covered in eight years. We've done documentaries, but we've never done a music concert documentary. Oh, I think I know what's coming now. I dropped because a hint earlier, didn't I? Earlier. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you fancy the last waltz, mate? Well, why not? <laughs> I mean, you've got, you've got Martin Scorsese directing, I think. Exactly. You've got the band. You've got Neil Diamond. Yep. Dr. John, we mentioned earlier. <laughs> and you've got one of my all-time favourite artists, if not my all-time favourite artist, Neil Young. You've got Neil Young. We've got Joni Mitchell, Van Morrison, Ringo Starr, Muddy Waters, Ronnie Wood. Uh, who else That's is incredible. It? That's incredible, because I was very recently deliberating watching it. Have you seen it? Like in, the, in the last two weeks. Never got round to watching <gasps> it. Right, and I think... Aren't the Staples singers in it as well? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll take you there. Yeah. If you've not seen it, it is, it's the music concert video. I mean, my favourite of all time is the Woodstock um, movie that came out. You know, Which I have seen. Yeah, the three-hour version of Woodstock, because it's the old 60s thing for me. When I saw this, and it wasn't that long ago, probably about four or five years ago, and I thought, I'll give it a go. I'm wondering why it's been... You know, in people's top tens, top twenties, why it's up. Instantly, you get it, mate. It's just like, you, you're not going to say, oh, it's a Martin Scorsese movie, because it's not a Scorsese no. movie. No. Um, and then once you've got it in that first five minutes, you then get into this roller coaster of all these famous people. Um, of course. Yeah. And, and then you start realising that the camera work is a little bit different to any concert you've ever seen before. Mm. And you start recognising tunes, and it's just like, let's give it a go. I mean, I don't know how we're going to review a concert video. It might just be well, a case of, you know, we're just going to be talking that, about the music. I don't know, but... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing to say, is that I've, I've definitely seen individual performances from the film, mm. whether it's like Neil Young, like a hurricane. Yeah. Or, you know, the band doing The Weight or yeah. something like that. Because it is the band's film, isn't it? It's, it is. It's, it's the, fair, yeah, yeah. the Farewell concert, isn't so, it? So I look forward to that a lot. In fact, I may even watch it nah. like tonight <laughs> and revisit it closer to the time of recording. I, I think you may go back to it pretty soon, mate, because yeah. 
Um, as I say, I watched it a couple of years ago, and it's, it's definitely due a rewatch for me, mate. It's, it was an eye opener. It was it was something that I thought, well, how can you make a concert different? How can you make it exciting? How can you just give me a different slant on something that you know we've all seen a thousand times before? And it bloody works, mate. So I'm, I'm glad you. Wait. Yeah, I'm glad you haven't seen it. I was really surprised you haven't seen it. Actually, that's fucking brilliant. There was a there was a slight thing in the back of my mind when I mentioned the band earlier yeah. that this might be something that comes up, but I wasn't sure if it was going to be a six degrees thing or not. <laughs> yeah, so, like a wild tangent or something. Uh, yeah. That's 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 like the perfect choice for me because it's a film I've always meant to get round to, but for some reason, just it it's never happened. And I, like I say, it was thinking about watching it as, as recently as about a fortnight ago and I, for some reason I didn't well there you go mate it's almost like old school stinking pools again because it's educating Charlie it's like bringing you a movie yeah. you haven't seen perfect brilliant so, I am Julie Walters <laughs> and I'm Michael Kane. <laughs> on that note mate thank you for being here thank you thank you thank, thank you very, thank you for welcoming me it's been absolutely amazing to be back um we haven't missed you, if truth be told. You know, it's no, you're only human. <laughs> it's good to have you back, mate. Let's see you very soon. Take care, mate. Tada. Cheers, mate. Thank you. <laughs>
wish I could sing like that, don't you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> 